This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. I'd like to welcome Catherine Leung to Knowledge at Wharton. She's a principal and co-founder of a company called Mizma Ventures. It's an investment vehicle that focuses exclusively on Israeli technologies. Catherine formerly was vice chairman of J.P. Morgan Asia Investment Banking for 20 years until 2015, where she spearheaded the bank's efforts in greater China. And during her tenure, J.P. Morgan was named the best foreign investment bank in Hong Kong for some consecutive years by the Asset Magazine and also Finance Asia. She's been involved in a lot of high-profile IPOs, mergers, acquisitions, and other transactions. Welcome, Catherine. Thanks for joining us today. It's good to be with you, uh, Steve. Uh, as many are aware, I just want to put this in context because Catherine has made a change uh, and uh, now working with MISMA, which is actually uh, an Israeli word, which means east and west. It may sound to some like a Chinese word, but as many are, are aware, Israel is known for its tech prowess and rich startup country, uh, culture. Hong Kong, meanwhile, of course, is one of the world's largest financial centers. So it seems like they would be a, a great match just on the face of it. In fact, uh, the name of your company, Mizma, is a combination of two Hebrew words that mean east-west. Uh, would you tell us about why you made the change from investment banking at Morgan and why the focus on Israel today? Um, sure. Uh, happy to share, definitely. Um, I think, you know, you only have so long of a working life, I would say. Um, if people can say, I want to stop at 50, people can say, I want to stop at 60, people don't stop at 70. It depends on what your perspective are. But there is going to be a limit as to what the work life is. Um, and I actually think that having done 20 years of investment banking is plenty of perspective, <laughs> mm-hmm. plenty of experience, and plenty of scars and, 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 and celebrations and victories mm-hmm. to sort of leave that behind where... The world now, the most interesting thing, uh, I think it's actually tech. And the irony is actually I don't come from a tech background. I mean, I was not a tech banker. I mean, I was not an engineer. But I do think that there is a role to be played if you sort of, you know, think of the kind of construct you could create um, and, and, and be a part of the tech scene whereby... If there are like-minded investors who are interested in investing in some of the best technologies in the world, and I think you alluded to Israel being very, um, uh, having a very strong prowess in tech, which I would absolutely agree, there is a business to be built around tech whereby you can be an investor and you can absolutely put the money to work. But money, frankly, is a commodity these days. Mm-hmm. And I think where you make a difference um, in this uh, sort of construct, is you can actually help companies grow, go to market, commercialize, bring sort of connectivity in parts of the world where um, they don't seem to have it just as yet. So Israel is a unique case in point whereby the tech prowess is unquestioned, but technology itself is not everything. You need to be able to find an application in the technology that would change the li- our lives to the better, where people would use it and you would become successful in simple terms. And as you know, 
Israel has always been very successful going to the West, i.e. the U.S., by and large, right? Um, find markets there, uh, uh, find customers there. And there are many, many companies in the U.S. Um, that are from Israeli roots in, in that sense. So you've yes. got, you know, um, Checkpoint, Auto Networks. Um, you've got the latest acquisition of Intel, of Mobileye. I mean, those are the giants that, you know, one don't, you know, don't need to really talk too much about because everybody knows about that. Yes. Um, but I think the less known is how does Israel go to the East? And this is a supply and a demand thing because there needs to be interest by Israeli companies who want to go to market in the East. And there needs to be, you know, the market and the customers in the East who want to use Israeli technology. Mm-hmm. And I do think there's a very good match there. Because, you know, you've got China, which is a massive demand, and China itself, and we can come to that in a moment, has done a lot of innovation and is actually ahead of the world in certain um, aspects like payments, right? Um, uh, I think that would be a key one that I would say they're sort of ahead of the world in terms of how they have um, innovated and transformed and sort of leaps, leapfrog, leapfrog. Right, um, and China is very open to taking on board Israeli technology and then sort of scaling that. Yes. So I do think that I mean, I, and, and I think that China is not the only one. I think Singapore is as well, and Hong Kong is very much you know, being mm-hmm. part of China. Um, so I do think that there is a thesis to be had, whereby you have the money behind you, you put it to work, but you also then play a key role in adding value to mm-hmm. your companies that you invest in by bringing the customers of the market to them. It's a very long-winded answer. I don't know uh, whether it's helpful. Well, tell me this. How do you actually make the business marriages between the two regions? How do you find the companies? It sounds like finding the money is not a terribly big issue. So mm. how, how, do you, how do you find companies? Uh, I do see that, uh, that your company uh, specializes in cybersecurity, connected car technologies, fintech, yep. artificial intelligence, yep. machine learning, cloud technology. So that, those, are, those yep. are all big areas. So how do you find the yep. companies that you, that you want to work with? How do you identify them, isolate them, and, and, and okay. move forward? Okay. So uh, I would probably be too bold, frankly, if I were to go into Israel by myself. I have a partner who's been going to Israel for the last 25 years. He's connected politically there. He's connected um, commercially there. He's been a a venture guy. He's an entrepreneur himself, and he's been in the venture business uh, for, you know, two decades. So we partner up whereby, um, you know, I would be able to find like-minded people in the East um, to go in with us. Uh, But my partner uh, is part of that ecosystem in Israel, and to some extent in the U.S. and Silicon Valley as well. So he has a network to source, frankly, some of the best deals. And, you know, in venture, the key is how do you make sure that you, the best deals go to you. <laughs> so I think that's the, that's the trick. That's why it's a partnership. And once we come together, we basically figured out what is the compare, uh, I'm sorry, what are the compare unfair competitive advantages of Israel? Mm-hmm. And we pick out the domains that you just talked about mm-hmm. because we think those are the unfair competitive advantages of Israel compared to the other technology centers in the world today, like Silicon Valley, maybe China, Canada, London. So those are the areas that we focus on. And once we focus on those, 
I think the word gets around. I think we also talk to the local VCs. We talk to the local, the best entrepreneurs locally. We look at the incubators. And the word gets around mm-hmm. in terms of the kind of value we want to bring to the table. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, people see the value and you sort of, you know, you, you, you find that chemistry and, uh, and overlap. So uh, tell me a little bit about your sources of funding and, and if you can, how much you have under management. Right. So, uh, but, by and large, right, the source of funding is we. It's an investment vehicle comprised of only three LPs, other than me, myself, and my partner. The biggest contribution to the pool is actually one of the most prominent families in Hong Kong, um, and the total amount of capital we won't be able to talk about. But I would say it's a very, very substantial amount mm-hmm. as far as early stage venture investing is concerned. Now. Uh- One of the companies that you're invested in is called Amaron, which is a web security Mm. company. This is very interesting today. Everyone's talking about hacking, and we've had Mm -hmm. all of these security breaches. Tell us a little bit about that company. Amaron is a very interesting company because it it is going to take on the biggest player in web application firewall, uh, and that um, big player out there is a listed company called Imperva. so, you know, I, I want to sort of make it simple for everybody. Um, the traditional way of preventing attacks, right, is to blacklist, come up with a blacklist of people that cannot enter um, the system. And your list grows. Mm-hmm. And, but then, you know, you have a lot of problems. You have false negative, you have false positive, and it's very cumbersome to, to actually execute. Mm-hmm. You have people involved, you have... Uh, 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 a machine involved, you've got, you know, all sorts of different combinations, and it's still not working very well. Amaron takes on a completely different approach. Instead of blacklisting, they do whitelisting. There doesn't need to be a blacklist. Once a, uh, a source comes through uh, the web application firewall, because it's, it's come from the Israeli sort of army uh, the defense mm-hmm. uh, sort of approach and technology, they could figure out whether you're a good guy or a bad guy from where you come from, how you come through, and where you're going. I see. So, you know, I want to be able to explain it in very simple terms, and yes. I, I'm sure this is not the most technical of terms that one could use to describe. Right. But this is really what it's trying to do. In shifting from a methodology of blacklisting, mm-hmm. which I think people are familiar with, into a very, yes. very new methodology called whitelisting. Mm-hmm. One thing I really want to ask you is that in some ways you've had a front row seat to the history of China's transformation. You were involved in one of the top investment banks in China for, for 20 years. So could you tell us what are some of the highlights you've seen, some of the major themes over the years that you've witnessed uh, in finance, but also any other areas you'd like to comment on? Right, right, right. I would say uh, there are a few key sort of sound bites, right, I would like to share. One, uh, China learns very, very fast from the best practices from outside China. They take it home. They then basically find their own version, their own recipe mm-hmm. of work, of what works, and they scale it up and they do it in a way that that is quite unique and 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 forward-looking and state-of-the-art. Um, so I, I admire China for for that. Um, not only, I mean, you can see it in financial services, but not only in financial services. I mean, in 
sort of how the giants in China have made uh, taken advantage of the internet. Yes. Right. Uh, the Alibabas, the Tencents, and the Baidu's of the world. How they're leapfrogging in fintech in the way of ant financial. How they're leapfrogging in payments in Alipay and WeChat Pay. And all, I mean, WeChat being the sort of the largest, having the largest number of users, mm-hmm. and Tencent given, you know, its market cap. Mm-hmm. These are giants in their own right. And you can say, look, I mean, they, they started off with a model that's kind of similar to the West, and, you know, they took it from there. Maybe. I don't know. But I think they've taken, you know, leaps and, and, and bounds. They've, they've gone on leaps and bounds with sort of, you know, tailoring what the Chinese consumers, users, gamers mm-hmm. uh, 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 need, and, 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 and they've taken it to, to a completely different level. And I'm not singing the China song because I'm Chinese. I think anybody who looks at who are the Internet giants in the world today would count sort of Google, you know, Apple, Facebook, uh, Twitter, but they would also count Alibaba, Tencent, Baidu. I mean, they are sort of, you know, in the, in the club now. Yes. But they've only come about much later. Mm-hmm. But they've gone it, got, they've done it at a pace which was... Um, so, so it goes back to my point about sort of China learns very quickly and China would take things to the next level yes. and they would make it work for them. Yes. So I, I do think that that's a very important takeaway for having what you said, the front row seat uh, uh, in this part mm-hmm. of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think that a sort of more top-down economy definitely has its benefits in the growth of China. There's a lot of debate about sort of, you know, complete laissez-faire and driven by market economy and all that. And, and China being sort of, you know, communism, socialism with a sort of laissez-faire characteristics, right? I, I mean, they, they, they actually make it work for them. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they have managed to keep the economy growing, albeit at a slower growth pace now than 10 years ago, but still growing. They managed to keep unemployment at a you know relatively managed and acceptable level, um, you know monetary policy, fiscal policy, they are all sort of as much in sync as possible. So, one, if you were to be educated in the Western world, you would find that sort of like how can centralized economies be the best approach? But mm-hmm. I do think that the hybrid here of sort of government centralized approach with sort of blossoming of the entrepreneur and the market and the laissez-faire, that combination is very unique in China, and it actually works. So I actually think that, you know, the press um, in the West doesn't really give enough of a benefit of the doubt on China. They don't, frankly, a lot of the press don't understand China. Mm -hmm. And a a lot of it is more probably, you know, uh, 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 um, a bit of, um, what do you call it? Um, You know, writing for some sensational reporting, mm-hmm. I do think that they figured out a formula that actually is very, very unique. Russia didn't do that. They didn't get there in mm-hmm. terms of the balance between laissez-faire and centralized planning. Um, I don't know that any part of the world can actually do that as, as well as China. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's still sort of a uh, 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 emerging uh, economy. It has still ways to go, so there would be growing pain. Uh, but I do think that they have the right people at the range to um, to make it work, um, given sort of you know the ability to be able to plan centrally, but let things blossom at the same time. 
Well, as a last question, let me ask you then, where, where is this heading? Where do you foresee the big changes over the next three to five years, given the, the, the line I, of history that right. you've witnessed? Yes. You mean China? You're referring to China? Yes, greater China even, yes. Just uh, because they've adopted this system, which is, which is a hybrid and unique, as you, as you say. And also right. they're very good at learning fast and adopting best practices. Where is all this going to go uh, since it's moving so fast and we see it every day uh, in the next, say, two, three, four, five years? I actually think that China would continue a very steep trajectory of having – you know, very strong entrepreneurs that are going to come up with business models that work perfectly for China. And given the size of the market, they would be big companies. And you will see in terms of the top 10 internet companies in the world, there will be more Chinese names there Mm -hmm. instead of just the three that we see today. Mm -hmm. There will be that sort of blossoming uh, that we can witness uh, and expect to come. And I think that, you know, in things like autonomous vehicles, which I actually think is the next sort of iPhone, right? If you think about the major disruptions in the world today, mm-hmm. I mean, maybe, you know, you count back as much as the Industrial Re- Revolution, the invention of electricity, and then at some point it was the computer, at some point it's the iPhone. I think autonomous cars, whether it's car-to-car connectivity, car-to-infrastructure connectivity, or sort of the holy grail of, you know, autonomous driving, I think, you know, this thing is going to take off, I think, in the West first, but I think China would have its own version of it. And I think we'll be all quite sort of sit back and think, oh, my goodness, how did we get there, right? We were all driving our own cars five years ago, but now, you know, um, sharing uh, 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 and the, the car connectivity, car to infrastructure connectivity uh, uh, and all that, I mean, you know, it, 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 it's, it's going to be very transformational. And that's why I think there is every bit of curiosity and drive to get into venture because the innovation, that disruption is happening faster and faster. The product life cycle is shorter and shorter. And I think that, you know, if you could actually foresee what things would look like and what the world needs, I think that's a very exciting place to be. Well, thanks very much for joining us. We appreciate it and uh, good luck. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Steve. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Thank you.